In the book Flow Architectures, The Future of Streaming and Event-Driven Integration, Flow is defined as networked software integration that is event-driven, loosely coupled, and highly adaptable and extensible. It is principally defined by standard interfaces and protocols that enable integration with the minimum of conflict and toil. It aims to reduce the cost of real-time integration while allowing data streams to be shared in new and innovative ways, giving birth to a worldwide flow. In this episode of Cocktails, we talk to the proponent of flow architectures, which he predicts would be the foundation for linking the world's activity via a worldwide flow. We discuss the concept of flow, the technologies that would need to evolve alongside it, and how businesses and organizations today can prepare for its inevitable emergence. Welcome to Coding Over Cocktails, a podcast by Toro Cloud. Here we talk about digital transformation, application integration, low-code application development, data management, and business process automation. Catch some expert insights as we sit down with industry leaders who share tips on how enterprises can take on the challenge of digital transformation. Take a seat, join us for a round. Here are your hosts, Kevin Montalbo and Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Joining us all the way from Australia is TorCloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Hi, David. Hi, Kevin. And our guest for today is a proven technology executive and a key influencer in the use of distributed systems and technologies in the enterprise setting. He has a background that includes both field and product leadership with both startups and large corporations. Named one of the 10 most influential people in cloud computing by the MIT Technology Review, The Next Web, and The Huffington Post, and a former contributing author to GigaOM and CNET, he frequently writes and speaks to these disruptive technologies and the business opportunities they afford. He is the author of Flow Architectures, The Future of Streaming and Event Integration, published by O'Reilly. In it, he, him- he imagines a new global event-driven network that will drive what he describes as a Cambrian explosion that will change how the world works. And we're here to talk about that today. Ladies and gentlemen, James Urquhart. Great to have you on the podcast, James. It's a pleasure to be here. And I love that sign, man. (laughs) That is so cool. I got to get one. Thanks for that. We've been waiting for that sign for a while and (laughs) and, uh, we just need a new camera. So it comes up, the resolution comes up better in the background there, but it is a cool coding cocktail sign. Uh, James, we've been really looking forward to this. The book is really interesting stuff and your predictions are very, very interesting. It's always, we, we often talk in our podcast about, you know, what's your prediction for the future? Well, you, you've written a book with, you know, about some disruptive technology, which you think is going to disrupt the future significantly. Why don't you tell us what is Flow? Let's get started with what is it that does? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, so the concept of Flow is, is really about, uh, the fundamental question behind it is what happens when the interfaces and protocols that we use to um, integrate our applications in a way that we can consume real-time event streams, real-time indications of state change in other systems, um, in our own systems. So today, there, that happens all the time. You have stock trading networks, you have healthcare systems, uh, you have manufacturing systems where, where you know, mach- sensors can indicate there's a problem to a central control system. But the problem is every single one of those use cases that you go through have basically bespoke made for that purpose interfaces and protocols that, uh, that enable those things to talk to each other. Um, 
I did some work with something that we can talk more about as we go forward, a, a technique called Wardley mapping, which allows you to kind of understand a user need, understand the needs that are required to meet that user need, and then map that against an evolutionary scale that goes from sort of incredibly new and novel and not understood all the way through custom and then product till they get to a commodity or utility phase when it's fully understood and everybody expects a certain behavior. And so my question was, what happens when those interfaces and protocols begin to evolve to that point where they become standard and understood and ubiquitous? Um, and it very quickly occurred to me that that is a huge deal. It's akin to when HTTP gave us a standard for defining and linking information with a standard interface and protocol for understanding how to not only provide a pointer to another piece of information, but to, but to follow that pointer from one piece of information to another, right? Um, so in the same way, this is about activity. This is about linking activity in a way that you could very easily say, hey, I want to make available this stream of, of events that represent this activity to the world or to specific individual organizations. And that as a consumer, you can say, hey, I want to subscribe to that particular stream um, to be able to, uh, to react to that information as it becomes available. And if you follow the same train of thought in terms of what happened with HTTP and linking individual pieces of information and so on until we started to see a global graph of information that's highly linked to each other. Um, I believe that over the long term, we're talking a decade, maybe more, um, that we will see a very large, massive scale connected environment where real-time data is being exchanged and consumed and generating new data um, across industries, across uh, the geographic locations and across the world. So that's, that's the heart of what flows. It's about how event integration event-driven integration will really be changed by standard interfaces and protocols and how that will change the way we integrate businesses. So it's, I mean, it sounds like a pub-sub model, like so for internal architecture, application development, uh, you know, uh, event streaming and subscribing to events and uh, having uh, applications responding to those events is a common architect architectural model for internal application development. So my understanding of flow is, is, is it's, is that on a global scale. So you're making those events publicly available, presumably with some form of security so that you can lock it down to only those subscribers that you want to. So it's almost replacing RESTful APIs with a uh, event-based subscription mm. type model. I want to correct that slightly because it's not okay. replacing REST-based APIs today. Sorry, I shouldn't say replacing, right. but supplementing. Today we do many things with API calls that should are about trying to catch an event, a, a state change that's occurred. Mm -hmm. um, so when what we're doing is we're replacing those situations where we're using request reply models where that's not the most efficient. And I'll give you an analogy. Um, so uh, there's a gentleman, I can't remember his name right now, but he spoke at DevOps Enterprise a couple of years ago about how um, Walmart has adopted event-driven integration for their real-time inventory systems. And the most powerful aspect of that story, you know, he talked about, you know, the, the, what, what the architecture looks like internally in Walmart systems to be able to take advantage of, of receiving data in real time as opposed to um, having to 
find it by making these kind of tree calls through multiple services, right? So literally um, the data that um, a system requires ends up looking a lot like a lookup table because it just gets fed with the data from the outside, gets updated on a regular basis. So they actually just literally, in some cases, use a lookup table as the service. Cool stuff. And then he did the math on what that does to availability. So rather than having to chain all those services together and get availability by multiplying all the service levels of all the services that you have to call to get your answer, they now have that one call to get an answer. Whether or not that answer is 100% accurate is dependent on how accurate the, the feed is from the, the chain, right? But but the call tree is a simple call. And so it's way cheaper to achieve five nines in terms of service availability um, in order to answer that question. And so um, that, that kind of fundamental shift in thinking um, really changes the nature of when you would use event-driven versus API-driven. And I think in, a, in probably a large number of cases where APIs are driven are used today, the, the idea of um, using event, event streams will make more sense. However, even in Flow, the interfaces I talk about are APIs, right? To initiate a connection to a stream, to request a subscribe, and you're right about the PubSub thing, that seems to be likely the dominant, if not the only model that Flow will take. But, um, but in order to make that subscription, you have to make a request response call to, um, to, the, to the topic holder, to the uh, publish subscribe system. So um, APIs for request response situations will still be critical. Um, but it is, it's very, very true, though, that we do an awful lot of things where we make calls um, on a timely basis for, for trying to catch information when it's available as opposed to um, hey, I have a query. I need a response to that query um, at that time, and that's what it will replace. That's what um, that's what the fundamental change will be. There seems so many implications in terms of how it's going to disrupt business and the like, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But can I ask you? You've you've likened flow to HTTP, uh, the foundation of the World Wide Web, where you predict that the flow will become the foundation for linking the world's activity uh, via this worldwide flow. Uh, to use the same sort of an acronym. What led you to the conclusion that, that this was inevitable, that this is you know, how business was going to be conducted? Yeah, I, the, the core element of it is that um, if you look at the needs to satisfy event-driven integration, so you just say event-driven integration without putting any caveats on it. Um, and especially the, the only caveat I put on is like, I'm really, really interested in how I do that integration across organization boundaries. Like what are my needs to be able to securely and with trust and in a performant way, have one organization say, I want to subscribe to the feed from another. And there's, a, there's many examples in the book um, of different kind of interesting use cases where that's the case. And, uh, and as I did that analysis, um, integration, Anytime you have integration, the, the key factors that make integration possible are you need some form of interface that allows um, the systems involved to be able to identify a connection between each other. Now, that might be through a, an intermediate party. So I am very clear in the definition of flow that it doesn't have to be the producer and the consumer that provide Inter and consume interfaces and protocols. There can be agents that act on behalf of the producers and the consumers to do that. Um, but when you have that, 
um, that flow, um, uh, th that situation, you need those interfaces and protocols to enable ultimately that those two things to be able to get connected together. So those are two things that you end up saying are components of the overall solution. The other things that you need besides those two things include things that we all know extremely well, which are the, the things that interact with streams. Because just streaming event data with no interaction is just moving data around for no really good reason, right? You have to have interaction that goes with flow. And um, so when you take that on, then, then you also have to map things like queues and processors and sources and sinks as a part of the map as well. And so, um, so I put all that stuff on there and then I, I, you know, I was paying attention to the fact that a lot of those things in terms of, um, in terms of queues and processors, those are commodity today, right? You can go to Amazon today and you have a selection of different types of event processing you can choose from Lambda, uh, step functions and, you know, and uh, event bridge and a number of other things. And then you have a number of queues as available to you as well. So Kafka, uh, just a you know, the, uh, simple message service, um, you know, a number of other things that are available just to give you one utility sense of that. Um, and then you have a big choice in the marketplace for that. So you have this ubiquity of core processing elements, sources and sinks range a little bit more, right? So it's sinks, if you're talking about data sinks and analytics sinks, those are largely commodity today too. You can get data warehouses and and you know even short-term processing, real-time um, visualization stuff today very easily. Sources range from brand new sensors we've never seen before all the way to commodity elements. So you've got, but then you go, okay, the interfaces and protocols. Um, those today, if you look at how people are integrating, especially across organization boundaries, they're integrating applications using event streams. Um, as I said earlier, those are highly bespoke. Those situations today, one vendor, you know, one, one company may say, hey, we're just exposing our Kafka API through some sort of secure tunnel or, or something like that. Um, and with heavy um, access control around it. And that's how we're doing it. Another group may say, hey, um, you know, we're, uh, we're, you know, publishing these to EventBridge in AWS. And so if you want to connect to this, you can go to EventBridge and this is how you connect to our stream that way. Um, and, you know, uh, there's, there's, you know, everything from what the stock market does where they literally sell you a port on a server that you connect to directly and get a very direct network stream that way to, you know, to more casual kind of ways of connecting. Um, and so, what got me there is so part of worldly mapping is understanding that everything moves from that that sort of that crazy novel thing through that four steps that I talked about earlier, um, custom product towards that utility phase, right? And if it's really really useful technology, new or or a capability, I should say, new technology will come to meet that capability and replace and slowly. Um, you know, subsume the old one until you get to the point where you've got a very standard, there's no real need, you know, we know exactly what we want here. There might be little tweaks to specific features that are built off of the core capability. There might be tweaks to the service that's offered, but you get to that point um, where you move to that commodity. And so what happened, that's when you ask the question, well, if we're kind of largely custom or maybe product in some cases today, what happens when we the right technology comes along to make that um, um, a utility. And so that's, you know, to me, that's the, the kind of core thing is you, you do have to, you know, it's, it's, it's 
somewhat speculative to say, but as I did the analysis on the business drivers that need to be there, there's a whole chapter on that in the book, um, the, um, the technologies that, and what the technologies today are telling us about the trends, um, and there's a whole chapter that kind of talks through that stuff, um, and then do a little bit of sort of gain what, what Simon Worley, who invented Worley Maps, calls gameplay against what you see in the current state map. And you, you ask some questions about different ways it might evolve. Um, it became really, really clear to me that it's, you know, unless there's some fundamental either legal or, um, or physics thing that's not understood today that would, what, that would block its evolution, um, you know, over time, it, it's pretty inevitable. And we're getting very close to the point where that's going to start to appear. And we can talk more about what I see that drives that, but um, was that like an aha moment when you you came to that conclusion? Or oh yeah, that? yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's when I so I, I there, you can go to um, on Medium or some old blog posts that I did a while ago um, that you can search for and look up if you want to, um, where you can see old like really sloppy versions of different analysis that I did. But you can see literally where I sort of came came to the conclusion that oh wait a minute these interfaces and protocols are really important. Right. And when I reached that point, um, uh, you know, that's that that was the uh, definitely an aha moment for me. Definitely, like, can we talk? We with, you've mentioned a few technologies, so it seems like, as you say, some technology is already there in order to publish messages, put them onto queues, have people subscribe to them. Some even some of the security elements are already there. Let's can we briefly touch on what technologies would need to evolve to support flow? So, for example, I'm thinking about in the RESTful API space, what needed to evolve was a common standard to describe RESTful APIs to subscribe to them. Uh, now, I know we have emerging standards like cloudevents.io. Those are sort of technologies which we're gonna to need to evolve to support Flow. Yeah, let me break down interfaces and protocols just slightly more because uh, that'll help you kind of understand. But uh, yes, I think you're right on the right page. So. Um, so there's really kind of, on the interface side, there's really kind of two core elements that are the interfaces that you need to really make flow work. So the first is the logical connection, which is really the subscribe command. If you, if you, if you buy into publish and subscribe being the mechanism, then it's, you know, what are your interfaces to publish and what are your interfaces to subscribe? Um, uh, there's a possibility there's some other mechanisms that are more direct that aren't so much about publish and subscribe that might be useful in some use cases that might play into what has to be supported. Um, so you might have a situation where it's not so much about subscribe, it's more just about establishing a logical conversational, more conversational connection between a, a producer and a, and a consumer. But if we go with the publish subscribe and you go, okay, whatever the publish and subscribe interfaces are and, and the mechanisms that allow you to say, you know, a publisher to say, I want to connect and put things in a topic somewhere and a subscriber to say, I want to connect and put and take something out of that topic somewhere. Um, then, um, then those interfaces are the logical connection largely. And they sit on top of all the networking stuff, TCP IP and TSL or TLS or whatever. Um, and, uh, uh, and then, um, but then the other interface that's really critical is discovery. And discovery is important because what, you know, what streams do I want to subscribe to? How do I find streams that are valuable to me and my company? Especially if the number of streams grows exponentially like HTML uh, websites did. 
um, then how do I, you know, how do I find what I need to find? And so there's a couple of ways that could go. One way is that could be just Google and web pages that describe, here's my, you know, there's a standard way that you can look and say, okay, here's my stream URI and here's what you need to know in order to be able to consume the data that comes from the stream URI. Um, and that has a very decent chance of being the winner. But there's also a number of people, uh, companies out there that are putting out um, commercial products that are more like, uh, you know, a uh, uh, API driven uh, uh, registry of streams that do more than just say, hey, here's a stream URI and who's the owner or whatever. They might, they give you programmatic ways of understanding what's the velocity of, of stuff that you might expect to get from this. And what schemas do you need to know and understand in order to be able to consume these things? And where can I, you know, if I can programmatically determine from a schema how to read it, where do I go get the, the things I need for my program to be able to determine that? So those things I think are important. And then on the protocol side, there are two pieces to that as well that are really important. So, and the first is the, the payload. You know, what is it that you're sending that's unique about that state change that you wanna to communicate to, uh, to the other side? Um, and, you know, protocols are the one thing where it's going to be not standardized in the sense of there's one ubiquitous standard for protocol for um, for payloads. It's likely to be more on an industry by industry or even either or even key market by key market basis. Um, so things like you see already with EDI and, and a number of other places where they built data standards for how to exchange data across boundaries, those will get encapsulated into payload form or new ones will be created to meet new needs. But the metadata gets very interesting. So the, the core descriptions of what's in the payload and what do I need to know to be able to pick it apart? Um, what time was this event driven? How has it been routed to me? Where it's the original source? Um, those things are very, very important in order to be able to uh, both trust the data that you're getting and also to understand uh, a little bit about, um, about how to process the data and, and the kinds of things that you want to determine from that. And that metadata is, uh, there's something called Cloud Events out there that you mentioned earlier, Cloud Events IO. Um, Cloud Events is a project from CNCF. Um, I think it has the inside track in a big way in terms of being that metadata protocol. I think it's a very important step in the right direction. Even if it doesn't win, it, it will inform whatever wins in the long term. But um, but man, I got to tell you, it's everything about the way they set it up is correct. It's not itself a wire protocol. It is a it's a metadata definition protocol that could be mapped to a number of different wire protocols. Um, so AQ, AMQP, MQTT, HTTP, right? There's mappings to just about everything you can think about there. And so, um, but there's something like that will have to be in place as well. And so when you look at those things that are in place, um, that's where I really kind of think that, uh, that those are the, you know, those are the, the pieces and elements that um, have to get better and stronger and fully standardized in order for us to say, now we have standard interfaces and protocols for flow. Do you think it, uh, certain vertical industries will also drive adoption? So finance industry coming up with standards to uh, you know, how to describe a financial transaction, for example? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there are certain places where it's going to be really hard for flow to crack the nut, so to speak. Um, like, so I use high frequency trading as an example frequently in the book as, as sort of the, the kinds of areas where, um, where you know, a flow-like 
contract exists already. The catch there is though, of course, the speed and, um, and performance of what you need to know there is really high, but that doesn't preclude flow from being giving you the you know some of the ability to say and giving the, the financial stock trading industry the ability to say hey we're moving from this port based approach to here's a flow interface and essentially we're going to establish the same connection when all is said and done but the metadata will change a little bit and you know and the, the flow will change a little bit as a result of that um but i do think yeah absolutely um i do think that the the um, that certain industries are going to find this more valuable than uh, right off the bat. This transportation industry is one, specifically the logistics industry is one, where I look at and I say, yeah, they're already moving in this direction. There's a number of vendors that have open stand. They are using con some relatively common standards for things like um, like uh, like truck. Um, what is it? Telemetry. You know, truck telemetry for for um, for semis. And things like that. Those things are already starting to become very, very standard. So um, I absolutely think um, uh, the industries will drive it. And I, and I, you know, and some industries will be first, others will be later. But um, man, the power of real time data is surprising in places where you've been using batch processing for for decades, right? Um, I've seen this firsthand. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you get a, a real excited shift of behavior when people can actually see what's happening, say in a in a re, uh, online retail campaign in real time versus twenty four hours later. All right. So, uh, like any disruptive technology, I imagine that new technologies and uh, new industries and business models are going to emerge. Have you seen? Have you foreseen any of these um, emergent or new industries and business models going to take place? So, so far as of now, I think um, there, there's, there's very little today that you can look at and sort of say, oh, this has been driven by, of course, standard interfaces and protocols because they don't exist. But you can see some hints of the kind of explosion of business opportunity that's out there. Um, I mean, just today, right, we see the news that Apple and, and, uh, Kia, and Kia Motors are, are kind of working together on, uh, on a factory to build cars, right? Um, the big part of that is the telemetry capability that's available from the Apple ecosystem and from what they're able to do in terms of tying, uh, integrating, you know, your entire personal portfolio of data into now adding cars to the, the picture makes that possible, right? Um, and I think, um, you know, so you look at self-driving cars, you look at, um, uh, you know, you look at, you uh, um, the, the the streaming of music and film streaming industries and and some of the capabilities that you might see with all these new networks popping up everywhere and everybody doing their own apps and all that stuff um which i think is you know is, is really indicative that there are things that can be built on top of that i think it'll go much further though i i, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for business data streams to be analyzed and combined and reused in, in ways that we don't see a lot of right now so um Right. So I, I think there's more to come in a huge way. How about for organizations? Uh, do you see any organizational challenges that uh, Flow will face? So are companies right now set up to embrace a real-time event-driven economy? Yeah, I think there, there, there will be some resistance in the sense of, um, uh, you know, the first, uh, one of the things I say a couple of times in the book, and I've, I believe this for a really long time, is the first requirement of any really useful business system is trust. 
if, if you don't have trust as a baseline, none of the rest of the features and functionality matter. And so, um, so it'll take some time for organizations to trust that if they make their data available, that it'll be consumed in a way that's beneficial to them. It'll take a way for, and to find the business models where that's the case. It'll take a while as well for uh, consumers to trust that the data sets they get from some place they don't have a contract with upfront. Um, is is valid and worthy of consumption. So um, I also think, um, you know, there, there's a debate, there's a fun little debate going on a little bit right now about sort of the nature of what is an application. And, I, you know, we've, we've used this term um, about sort of big A application, little a applications and all kinds of terminology that sort of, you know, what's, what's the difference between a deployable component that's owned by a team and the application from the consumer's perspective or from the business's perspective. And I think a big part of the problem why we have trouble kind of mapping these things is because really in the end, what we have is a graph of software components out there. And, and you know, so we have a bunch of components that have dependencies and communication links with each other. And finding those boundaries is getting harder and harder to do as we have more and more of them that are more connected in interesting and complex ways. So, um, so I do think that in the end, the the, the applications that uh, um, that that the sort of the resistance, some of the resistance that enterprises will have, revolves around the way they're organized and the way that they're organized to build software and how software comes out. So the old sort of Conway's law conundrum that we are dealt with and seeking that dream of a reverse Conway's law where our organizations begin to change around the software components that, that make us successful. Um, and I don't think we're, we'll get there super soon, anytime soon, which is why I think flow will be delayed somewhat because the, the trust, again, the trust factor is not only the trust factor between a business, one business and another and the network in between, but it's also within the organization, there's a trust factor about sharing data as well that has to be overcome. That's why I say it's a five to 10 year horizon before it's a mainstream uh, technology problem. Um, but I do think that the early movers, the people that help drive the standards and then build businesses around those standards early will have a, a an inside track on, on really profiting from what happens later. I'm guessing there's also business process challenges uh, to move to a sequential event processing model. Many businesses work in batch processing still, so they'll, they'll literally need to overhaul their business processing in order to be able to support an event, real-time event streaming model. Yeah, um, uh, the the, the real-time part of it is, is two factors. So one is, right, the need for automation where we've been able to kind of slide by without automation for a long time. Um, I think is going to be driven in a huge way. Um, I talk a lot about um, there's a there's a class of work that's always been easily replaced by software um, that I call clerk jobs. Um, and so, you know, what's a clerk job? Somebody who takes something off a queue someplace, does a prescribed function against that something, and then passes it on to the next step in the process. Um, there's, uh, you know, if you look at the original, like if you look at the movie Hidden Figures about the 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 um, the women in the um, in NASA that used to compute functions and 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 provide mathematical answers to equations in the 60s and the 50s, right? You look at that um, and the, the how quickly they were replaced as the IBM mainframe became the core processing system within um, the organization. I believe there's a lot of white collar clerk work 
that it is very much at risk as as flow pops up because organizations are going to have to look at you know does it make sense for us to try to process a growing velocity of data that's coming in through certain streams that we subscribe to um, in a human process way or do we have to finally find ways to you know automate portions of compliance and automate portions of uh of uh of data reconciliation and data cleanup as 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 we take a look at things um hard hard problems to solve but maybe increasingly easy as as machine learning and ai technologies get a little bit better um, over the course of the same decade that all of this is evolving um and uh, so, yeah, I do think there's a fundamental, you know, that what's going to really survive it, um, a lot from a career perspective for most organizations is going to be those things where you have to use smarts and creativity in order to be able to either create something of value or to resolve issues that might impact the value of, of product or service being offered. Um, and in in those situations, I think uh, it'll be a very very long time before humans are are replaced. But it it is you know I always say there's always a negative to every positive and and sort of the way these technologies evolve. And the negative is really I think there are a lot of jobs that have been relatively safe um, for uh, the last hundred years that are probably um, going to increasingly be at risk. And not just because of AIML, but the combination of AIML and flow is really going to enable businesses to automate those tasks easier. Fascinating. It's, uh, look, the what can organizations do to prepare for this? And I, you mentioned the early adopters are going to be the the, the winners. And uh, let's just uh, put aside the technology providers, which there's obviously huge opportunities for, but organizations which are going to be publishing or subscribing to data streams, what, how, how is it, can they get started on this now? Or is it purely theory? Is there things they can do and put into practice now to, to prepare for this? Well, yeah. So the good news is because the interaction technologies are increasingly basically, you know, more or less commodities at this point, um, processing events at, at scale is is a doable thing today with the technologies that are available. So what I the first thing I point out is, you know, we're all talking about sort of microservices architectures, but a lot of people think of Microsoft service architectures in terms of you know, um, request response APIs and, and REST API kind of services. Um, there's a number of different um, uh, uh, works out there that talk now increasingly about how you, you either process streaming data as, you know, as sort of a, a data stream approach using a number of, say, Apache, different Apache projects out there to do that, uh, different um, commercial products in the market to do that. Um, and you could certainly take a look at it if, if what you're really looking at is beginning to understand and sort data. There's a number of things you can do there today using those technologies. There's a new class of stuff out there that's around sort of building models of the real world in in digital form as sort of a digital twin model. As you if you Google the term digital twin, you'll find a billion things about that. And, uh, and you know, one of the ones that I've I've worked with a. a Fair bit is uh, um, an open source project called Swim OS and the company Swim.io. That's that's uh, that's sort of um, producing that and delivering commercial products around that. The idea there is, uh, and, and this is a class of tech. It's not just them. Um, but the idea is that you you process the stream as it comes in. You determine from the data of the stream that there's the existence of, of an entity or agent in the system. You build a digital twin for that agent. You then through the data determine how it's connected to other. Um, 
uh, agents in the system. You begin to build this graph model uh, in, in memory of sort of what are these things and, and, and how are they connected to each other. And then uh, Swin, interestingly, uses uh, an AI approach to begin to, and sort of more of a machine learning approach to kind of determine uh, over time, how should I react as the other agents I'm aware of change? What, what are the, the, the actions that I should take? What signals should I admit? Or how should I update my, my state to reflect what I'm seeing elsewhere? And so it's in heavy use of things like, um, you know, traffic systems. I think the city of Las Vegas is one that, that the swim team kind of holds up as an example, Palo Alto as well. But also, um, uh, you know, they, they do um, models of, you know, entire cell phone networks or major network cell phone providers where they know what towers are doing and what cell phones are doing and, and what's connected to what at any given moment based on the stream of data coming from those towers and coming from the, the, the cell phone network systems themselves. So, um, and they do that on a surprisingly small number of hardware systems in order to support that. So it, it's a very cost-effective way of understanding how those things are related. And um, so, and I think, uh, you know, another element of, of, of that that you can look at today um, and, and build around today is, uh, is the, the cloud world and serverless, right? And people who are doing serverless systems today are, are sort of building prototype systems that would work very well in a world where they're consuming an external stream instead of an API, something, you know, a lot of Lambda today is triggered by a call to an API gateway. Um, and uh, you could just replace that with something that's consuming a stream. And you can do that today as well. The big thing is, is if you build it in a way that the interfaces and protocols that you depend on in the processing of the system downstream, that you have uh, the ability to adapt that very quickly and cheaply as you move forward. So, so you know, decoupling the implementation of the event processing from the consumption of the data um, in the business systems themselves, I think is a very important thing to keep in mind so that you can begin to consume what I believe will be standard libraries, right? Standard, you won't have to write all this stuff to be able to consume flow because a lot of it will be just very, very standardized around those standards. And you'll be able to say, you know, give me a, you know, give me a, a known object type out of the, what I've received from the stream that I can then consume downstream in what I'm doing. So, um, so definitely, you know, keep in mind that those interfaces and protocols are what are going to evolve and change, build with that in mind, but then, you know, take advantage of the architectures that are available today and the new architectures as they start to evolve um, and when, where they make sense in the use cases you need to do it. And there's, there's another, you know, number of books out there that um, O'Reilly and others have about uh, event-driven microsystem or microservices and about, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, land, about you know serverless programming and things like that that can help you your, your organization be ready and on the way already when Flow appears. All right, I have a suggestion actually for organizations who want to prepare for Flow, and you talked about books, so the suggestion is basically just read your book, right, James? <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, I, my book is a good way to get a a sort of high level, say you know, national map scale overview of what the problem set is and what's available. Um, you know, I don't go in, it's not a book that's going to give you a, a recipe for exactly, you know, how to build your systems today to be event-driven in that way. But yes, um, you know, I highly recommend to everybody um, that's interested in this idea of moving to sort of real-time uh, stream integration with other organizations, um, even within your company or outside of your company, 
um, to take a look at, at the, the Flow Architectures book because, um, because I, I, you know, I, I think I did a really, really good job of mapping out um, sort of all kinds of different questions that you have to keep in mind and think about and that the, that the market will have to solve in order for Flow to really become trustworthy and useful in the future. And uh, there's a ton of opportunity. You know, not only is there instructions about how to be prepared so that you can be reactive to flow, but there's a ton of description of things that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or an investor, what are some of the, the spaces that need to be solved in order for flow to really come together and be useful? And you could do that for event-driven integration without standards today in very specific situations and then explode that out to um, take advantage of the standard when it's available. There's a bunch of stuff in there about um, what industry organizations, if you're part of an industry um, trade group, or if you're in the, you know, in a government organization that has a standards body that you that you adhere to, what can you do today to define the payload standards and to um, to be prepared to quickly declare a stand, you know, a, a consumption standard around something like cloud events as it becomes really clear that it's, you know, that it's the standard that's available. So there's a lot of opportunity in the book beyond just, hey, what do you need to do as a as a software architect or software developer to use Flow? Um, and it's really a book that's meant for investors and entrepreneurs and business leaders and uh, technology leaders and, and, you know, a number of different audiences that are going to be able to take advantage and leverage uh, flow as it be as it becomes available. All right. Uh, we want to congratulate you here from uh, Toro Cloud on your book. Uh, before we wrap this up, uh, where can they uh, go to learn more about you? Uh, yeah, you know, the best places to, to, to find me are um, these days is I'm doing, uh, I've, I've been a long time kind of Twitter um, user uh, and and that's the number one place I usually go to to communicate and 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 look for ideas and meet new people. But uh, I'm increasingly on LinkedIn as well um, and using that platform. Uh, find it uh, very useful in ways that Twitter is not really useful. Um, and those are two great places to to, to find uh, information. I also just um, launched a blog, like literally just launched a blog. Uh, it's called Flowark Book, um, and it's on it's on Blogger. So flowarkbook.blogger.com is where you can find it. And, uh, and uh, so I'm about to post my second post ever on that blog, but, um, but it's be a good place to kind of see how my, how I kind of break things down maybe a little bit differently than I did in the book or also how my thinking evolves and changes. And I'm going to try to stay on top of any news that's really important as well uh, as flow sort of comes out and comes to fruition. So I'm seeing interesting things uh, um, in a number of industries that, that begin to indicate that there are, businesses that are, would could transform quickly if this technology was available. And I'll, I'll try to highlight those as, as I go forward. So those are the main ways to get a hold of me. All right, that's a wrap for this round of cocktails. To our listeners, what did you think of this podcast episode? Let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. Again, thank you very much for listening to us today. On behalf of the entire team here at Toro Cloud, this has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!